Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, verse 3 through 21, uh, Paul centers his attention on consecration in ordinary life. That's the subject he'll be discussing in those uh, verse 3 through 21. Now, beginning in verse 3 through 8, uh, he begins to apply, now the I of consecration to ordinary living. That's what he applies it to. And he says, first of all, in ordinary life, you need the quality of humility. In living the life of consecration, uh, uh, the idea is I'm trying to apply consecration here in my life day by day. The first thing that is needed is humility in service. <coughs> I need to be a humble servant. That's the idea. Now that doesn't mean I'll sign my letters that way. Uh, we've all probably gotten letters signed just that way. Your humble servant. Well, I always wonder when somebody signs their name, you humble, your humble servant, about their humility. <laughs> you can't help but wonder about it. A fella I heard about one time was awarded a button for being the most humble fella, and then they took it away from him for wearing it. <laughs> so, and that's sort of the idea that is involved in some uh, of our uh, advertisements about our humility. Any humility advertised is false humility. It's called pride. If you advertise humility, uh, then you're, you're proud of your humility. And that's a strange enigma. Uh, that's a strange uh, contradiction. All right, in verse 3, he says, For I say, now I'm going to apply uh, what I've been saying here. He says, Now I say, uh, through the grace that was given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as to think soberly, according as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. Now that's a call to humility. Humbling yourself and recognizing what God has given you and what you don't have. Now, uh, a humble person does not say uh, that I can't when he knows that he can. That's not a humble person. Because this says, look, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now that... Uh, that's an admonition number one here. But so to think as to think soberly. Now he says don't think any lower than you ought to think uh, of yourself. Don't think higher, don't think lower, but try to think logical of what you have to offer. Uh, according as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. <coughs> We do have the right to say that God has given us the ability to do something. We surely do. 
We have that right. Because if we have any maturity or anything of an ability to offer, God has given it to us. So we have no place to boast or brag uh, in the face of anyone else. Uh, now for you to refuse to admit that God has given you some ability is as wrong as to brag about abilities you don't have. You see, uh, that's what this verse says. Humility recognizes its ability. something that's just destroying my voice and making my eyes itch making me want to go down and get a hamburger <laughs> now it doesn't think more highly of itself than it ought to think but I don't think uh, it don't think more low of itself than it already knows you know, a lot of times we say things in order to escape activity, not in humility. We may say, I can't do that when we're called on to do something. Or what are we, what are we really saying in that case? I don't want to do that. That's all we're saying. Uh, humility says I can do all things through him that strengthens me. That's a statement Paul made in Philippians 4, verse 13. And we need to adopt that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what humility says. Uh, was Paul a humble man? Of course he was a humble man. He was chief of sinners, not worthy to be called an apostle, he declared, and less than the least of all the saints. Uh, that's what he thought about himself. Now that's very humble, isn't it? Well, what did that fellow, uh, bless the least of all of the saints, not worthy to be called an apostle, chief of sinners, what did he say? He said, I can do all things through him that strengtheneth me. And so he didn't see himself as much, but he saw the Lord as the one who strengthens and gives him the ability. And that's what we've got to see. So there's the call to humility. Uh, don't let your false humility cause you from not admitting the abilities God has given you. If he's given you abilities, then use them, is the idea. Now, if you take the ability yourself, uh, that's pride, isn't it? If you say, I can do all things, uh, I can do everything, that's pride speaking. But if you say, I can do all things, I can do everything through him that strengtheneth me, that makes it a little different. Then that's humility. For where have you given all the ability to him who gives you the ability to God? All right, then in verse 4 and 5, he talks about, he, he states the reason for that humility. He says, there's a reason you ought to be humble. There's a reason that you ought to be sober and sane in the way that you think about yourself. He says, the reason is your members 
of the body. You're there to benefit the body. Now that's one point that I've never seen really exercised in the church, not on a large scale anyway, is the recognition that we're a member of the body and we owe the body. The body owes us and we owe the body. We're a unit tied together in love. So uh, he says, uh, the reason is your members are of the body and uh, you're there to benefit the body and the body's not there to benefit you. You'd be surprised how many people have this attitude that the church owes you something. They, if they don't entertain you, you're gone. You're looking for another congregation somewhere. If they don't uh, cater to your little whims and uh, maybe uh, install the programs that you think ought to be uh, acknowledged and, and observed, then you're, you're gone because uh, they don't benefit you. Well, you're there to benefit the body. He says, for every, for even as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office. So, verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and severally members one of another. So he's saying, look, you're there to benefit the body and others and not yourself. That's what humility does, it approaches the subject, approaches the, the situation in that way, recognizing you're a member of the body and you're not there to, uh, uh, for yourself's sake, in a selfish way. You're there to offer whatever abilities God has given you. Now that's a reason to be humble, isn't it? I mean, God has given you all the ability to speak on the, or the ability to do this or that or the other. Uh, for whose benefit? For the body, the body, others. The fact that God has uh, abilitated you, uh, I think that's a word. If it isn't, we'll register it with Webster and it'll become a word next year. The fact that God has abilitated you, the benefit of others, take away the pride and, and uh, builds humility. So there's the reason for humility. And then there's the expression of humility in verse 6 through 8. Here's where humility is expressed. Having gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us, whether prophesying, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Does that not say that the faith that God uh, has dealt a person in some degree determines the exercise of the gift of prophecy? He says, if we're given the gift of prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Suppose a fellow given the gift of prophecy doesn't believe. He doesn't trust God. Does he open his mouth? The proof of that is a bunch of fellows are given the ability to teach, but they don't even open their mouth. That's sad, isn't it? And so it wasn't the giving of the gift that uh, determined the outcome of the prophet only, 
but it was the giving of the gift exercised in proportion to his faith. Now, if I don't have the proper humility that recognizes that God has given me a measure of faith, I'll never do any of his work. I don't care how many gifts he gives me, miraculous or non-miraculous, in that particular time back then when this was written. I don't care how powerful he makes me, uh, how talented he might make me, or how ability he makes me. If I don't have faith in him, I'll not exercise one single ounce of good. I won't do anything. And so you can see why a lot of brethren has never moved off a dead center. A lot of brethren sits in the pew for 50, 60 years, however old he is. I've seen some up in their 90s and never done anything, never cared to do anything. And they're upset if the church doesn't cater to them because they don't understand the nature of the body. We're all members of the body. And Paul's addressing the fact that we need to offer to the body what we have to offer one another. Now, what made me not do anything? Was it a lack of ability? No, the problem was a lack of faith. Don't have any faith in God. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. I'm going to say that again because I think that's very important for us to know. There is no such thing as an ungifted Christian. God deals to each man what? The text said a measure of faith. You have a measure of faith. You have a measure of faith. You have a measure of faith. And they may differ in that measurement, but still in all, you have a measure of faith. What are you going to do with it? That's the question, I guess. Uh, we just read that. Uh, you have a measure of faith dealt to you by God. Uh, don't be jealous of anybody else and don't be proud of what you got. Just use it. That's the idea. Put it to use. That's what you're supposed to do. And now he's going to mention a whole bunch of things that we can put into use uh, in our different characteristics uh, of being. And of course, uh, using it is declared in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, uh, where he says, uh, the fellow that's gifted ought not to look down on the fellow that isn't, and the fellow that isn't ought not to be jealous of the fellow that is. Uh, talking about miraculous gift, gifts there, uh, because there's no such thing as an ungifted Christian that's the point Paul's making here. Every Christian has a gift to offer. Now again, he, he'll get into a list of them in a, little, in a few minutes, but he starts out by declaring that God gives uh, gifts to different men, that he gives it to all men is the point. God has gifted every Christian. God gave you a gift or maybe several. I don't know what it is or what they are, and you probably don't even uh, yourself. The thing you need to do is to do whatever you find your hand to do 
according to the proportion of your faith. In other words, you get in there and work like it all depended on you. And God will lead you into the understanding of what your ability is. And so when you roll up your sleeves and you start to work, you find out what your abilities are that you can offer the body. <clears throat> Paul said he forgot what was behind him and stretched forward to what uh, that which is before him in Philippians, the third chapter. He said, now if you would be perfect, uh, you be thus minded. But if you're otherwise minded, this also the Lord will reveal to you. And so if you're not mature yet, do what? Just walk on. Just keep walking. That's what First John says. First John 1, 7. We walk in a light as he's in the light. That's where we have fellowship with God. And so God, in that process of walking with him, will reveal to you the things that you need to know. <clears throat> and of course, uh, the primary thing that we need to know in regard to service is what Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. So whatever the requirement is, whatever the demand is, Whatever the gap requires that you fill, you can handle it. It may not be like a, a, another man would handle it. I mean, it may not be to the expertise of another man, but if you're there at that moment and he's not there, then you, you, uh, you have an obligation, don't you, because of the gift that God has given you. And so only by the rule you have attained by that same rule also walk that's Philippians 3 <clears throat> so whatever rule God has brought you to walk by that rule whatever measure of faith he's given you walk by that and if he's given you the gift of prophecy uh, in other words putting oneself in the situation of the time in which this book was written and that's the way in which we always should study the book, isn't it? Uh, be one of the Romans reading this. Put yourself on, in their shoes because uh, they're the ones who this letter was first addressed to. Now if God in 63 or 64 AD when this was written uh, has given me the ability to prophesy, how ought I to prophesy? to the best of my faith. Not to the best of my ability. Because I can't determine that. But to the best of my faith. Now we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians 1 and uh, 2 that the, the uh, world looks upon us as fools for Christ. And that's what we are. And sometimes we're, our pride won't allow us to make a fool out of ourselves before the brethren. But if there's a need there, I address myself to it. You address yourself to it. And we, uh, we speak out of our faith to the congregation. It may not be as good as the next fellow, but he ain't here right now. We always want to put the blame on somebody else. Somebody else do the, do the job. Somebody says you're not doing your best. Probably not. Undoubtedly not. 
uh, only working 16 hours a day ought to work 20. Only working 20 ought to work 21. Uh, only working 24 ought to work harder during that 24 hours. You can always do more, right? And so it's not a matter of doing all you can. Nobody doing that except he who died uh, for doing it on a cross at Jerusalem. And that's the only fellow who ever did it. The rest of us haven't. And so that's not the point. He doesn't measure us by ability. He measures us by faith. And faith has ability, doesn't it? So we walk by faith and not by sight. We engage uh, the opportunity and the need by faith. I think you saw that, particularly here a few weeks ago when uh, I wasn't here. And Conrad, uh, not Conrad, but uh, uh, Sean. Sean got up and filled the, filled the gap. There was nobody else here. To, uh, well, I would say there wasn't nobody that would do it. That ain't the case. But he got up and filled the gap. Of course, we'd been talking about things of this nature, filling the gap uh, before, and he he done it by faith. <laughs> and so, uh, so you can always do more. That's that's understood. Uh, so it's not a matter of doing all you can. Uh, nobody does that except the Lord. Uh, so that's not his point here. He doesn't measure us by ability. He measures us by our faith. Do you have the faith to stand in the gap? Do you have the faith to stand up and proclaim your faith? So this text states really the exercise or the expression of humility. How does humility express itself? How does humility express uh, and how does it express itself in, in work according to the proportion of faith? That's how, what humility does. Uh, humility doesn't express itself in uh, bowed head and many tears, but it expresses itself in work according to the proportion of his faith. Each one of us has different gifts according to the grace that was given to us. Now here's a fellow in Rome who has the gift of prophecy. Uh, then he is to prophesy according to the portion of his faith. Here's a fellow who has the gift of ministry that Paul mentions here, or benevolence in other words. Uh, here's a fellow who has the gift of doing good deeds of benevolence. Uh, feeding the widows at that particular time. They didn't have systems like we have, and social security and uh, health and welfare and all of those things. And so back then, uh, like in the early chapters of Acts, you have those neglected Grecian widows, I think in the sixth chapter, uh, that the church took care of. Uh, 
So, uh, you do this according to the proportion of your faith, uh, seeing their needs and feeding the orphans and the fatherless and the widows, caring for the needs of others is the idea, ministering to others. Verse 7, he says, He that teacheth to his teaching. Now notice it says literally, if ministry to your ministry, if teaching to your teaching. Now according to the proportion of your faith, surely is modified, uh, modifying all of this. You teach, you minister according to the ability of your faith. If a fellow fellow's gift is ministering, let him get after it. That's what Paul is saying. If he's given the gift of teaching, uh, get after it uh, to your teaching. The idea is to your post. That's the idea Paul's trying to get across. You have a post like a soldier does. You're expected to stand that post. You're expected to fill that, uh, that void there that needs uh, filling, whether it's a an observation post or a, a guard post or what it is or uh, whatever it is. But in the church, you're to do this according to your ability, according to the, your uh, faith. And so Paul continues in verse 8 with this. He says, "It is uh, if it's exhorting, get out there and exhort. Uh, if it's giving, uh, well, what's that doing here in all these spiritual things? He that giveth, let him do it with singleness, and uh, some translations say liberally, and that is a bad translation, because liberally, given liberally, does anybody have a translation that says that? Yeah. Well, given liberally only means a whole bunch, a whole lot. But singleness in the other translations, it means much more. It means that you do it with one purpose and one view. And therefore, it's going to be a whole lot if a whole lot is needed. It's going to be all that's needed. That's the idea. I mean, whatever's needed is going to be given there uh, if one is given the gift of giving. And it's going to be given with singleness it's not a matter of how much you got if you got five dollars and you give five dollars you can be just as happy as a fellow who gets uh, who got five thousand and gives five thousand I mean the number of zeros doesn't really determine the joy or the happiness in the gift but it's something to see someone who has been given the gift of giving and God gives him the, the gift of giving so he can do more giving because that's also the gift of giving isn't it in Deuteronomy the 18th chapter verse 18 it says it is God that giveth thee power to get wealth God's the one that gives you the power to get wealth that's what it said and so there's some that's been given things, this power of wealth, uh, if you want to call it a power, and it is in a situation of need. Uh, it's a power that can take care of problems uh, that's beyond 
a person's ability uh, outside his reach, then that's a gift from God. Because again, Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, it is God that giveth thee power to get wealth. So where does a fellow get the power to do uh, get a bunch of things? He gets it from God. We don't give God the credit for all that he gives us, all that he has given us, and all that he will give us, and all that he can give us. We've never opened that door of opportunity yet. A lot of us haven't. But we need to recognize that all we have is given by God. All we are is because of the opportunities God has given us. If I've grown so much, or you have, uh, uh, then God has given us that opportunity. And that growth is a, is a matter of His work in us. It's not a, a matter of what we've done with our own strength and ability. Uh, but you know, the gift of giving, uh, or getting, without the gift of giving is terrible. You know, some people are that way. They just want to come in one way to them. And so, the gift of getting without the gift of giving is terrible. Uh, you want to know how terrible it is? Well, just start breathing in and don't breathe out. How long are you going to live? Uh, you get lightheaded and then you faint. And that's the way it is. Uh... You're going to die except your body takes over and you faint. But the gift of giving comes from God. But we exalt what gift? Getting. That's the gift we exalt. Is getting. Getting more and more. That's very stupid, isn't it? What's the other reason to get? Merely to use in His service and to his glory. You can't use it all on you. A guy with 150 suits can only wear one at a time. You can't wear but one suit at a time. Uh, you drive one car at a time, live in one house at a time, and eat but one meal at a time. I think that needs to be said to each other occasionally. Uh, I think you would agree with that. You look in the mirror and you say that about every day and you'll have a gift of giving. It won't be long until you will. But we're so concentrated on self, our culture, our schools, uh, everything about the culture we live in and grew up in uh, aims everything at us. We need, we, uh, we ought to get, we, uh, the world owes us. And on and on we could go with that subject. But it's a one-way street. But in God's service, it's not. We recognize that God gives these gifts and abilities and these riches. And we can only use one at a time. And so we ought to be able to share with one another that's in need. Because beyond one meal, why not give the rest? Beyond one suit, why not give the rest? Beyond one car, uh, if that's necessary for your job, how about just giving everything but that one car? The idea here is to do it with singleness. He's not commanding liberality 
He's commanding singleness. Now what will singleness bring with it? Whatever's needed. That's the idea. Because you're giving with a single-hearted purpose. Now he that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply. Not, uh, now watch this. Shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the fruit of your righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. And so who is the one who's watching and will increase if you're a giver? God will. Let me read that again so that you get it. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. He that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply. You need to underline that statement. Shall supply and multiply. You need to underline that. Your seed for sowing and increase the fruit of your righteousness. All right. Two more in verse 8. Uh, he that ruleth, there's elders uh, with diligence. He that ruleth with diligence. Where did the fellow get the ability to rule? Does he get that by attending classes on management uh, training? Uh, does he get that from Dale Carnegie or from Ron Willingham courses that they've set up to teach men how to manage businesses and things? No, a fellow only becomes an elder when God gives him the ability. Nobody can rule well who must rule. If you feel like it, you must, then you're not equipped or qualified to be an elder. If you see it as a, a thing that you must do, it's got to be the outpouring of one's uh, uh, seeing the need so the only fellow that can become an elder is one that God gives him the ability. Now, it's, it, it's, it's always, uh, I'm not going to get into teaching about elders and the election of elders, but most congregations decide who ought to be an elder, and it's generally based on uh, how this guy, how friendly this guy is, and uh, how many babies he kisses, and and how many hands he shakes and how cordial he is. That has nothing to do with an elder. Only God can prepare an elder. Uh, that's just the long and short of it. When Paul addressed the elders at Ephesus, he called them from Ephesus down to Miletus in Acts 17, and, or Acts 20, uh, verse 17. And in verse uh, 28, he told them elders, he said, you take heed unto the flock and over the, uh, uh, take heed unto yourselves and unto the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you to be overseers. Feed the church of God, uh, which he's purchased with his own blood. Now they were called upon by Paul to uh, oversee the church. Uh, but who made them overseers? The Holy Spirit, the Word of God. They were men who had set at the feet of God's Word and had learned it to the ability that it was evident from their actions, their deeds, 
their concerns and all of that that they qualified to be elders. Do you have to know does it do you have to know who the elders are? No, not necessarily. If you're a babe in Christ and you uh, feel some need to understand something, who do you go to? You don't go necessarily to somebody that's wearing a badge saying, I'm an elder, I've been elected. You don't go to the one who somebody has put on the letterhead of the church that he's one of the elders. Who do you go to? The one who is spiritual. And you can see it. You, you listen to him. You watch him. And he's a spiritual man. And he's the one you go to with your questions. You don't go to the babe in Christ, do you? And that's no offense to a babe. They just haven't matured enough to get to that point, maybe. But still in all, you don't have to have a register telling you who the elders are in a congregation. If you, you got eyes, you ought to be able to see from their work, shouldn't you? But why does congregations insist on making lists and voting men in? And they generally vote them in because they're successful in business. And they reason like this. Why, here's a guy that's successful in banking or real estate or whatever. And if he's successful out there, he ought to be successful in running the Lord's church. That's the way brethren reason. Now, if the guy is successful to any great degree, what has happened to him? He's got in bed with the rest of the people of the world, and he's one of them. And he's compromised a lot of principles to get there. It's like uh, that one singer, uh, I forget his name now, a Western singer. Uh, he wrote a song, Rhinestone Cowboy. Remember that? One statement in that song bothered him and was true about him. He said, there's been a lot of compromising on the road to my horizon. There had been. Somebody remember his name? Glenn Campbell. Yeah, Glenny. Who? Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell. And incidentally, I heard that he was... Uh, years ago anyway, a member of the Church of Christ. But he recognized that he humbled himself and compromised quite a bit to become great. He sang in them old bars and drank that old whiskey and carried on with them people uh, that would make you and I puke because we're not accustomed to that kind of thing. But if you're on the road to being a great singer, what are you going to do? You're going to go where the money's at and where the recognition is at. And so, a lot of people are guided by uh, their horizons, what they want to be, become. Uh, but elders are men who are not looking for popularity. They're not look if they, if they're gifted by God, they're men who are concerned about the problem. And if they have to say something that makes you mad, they'll say it. Not because they want to make you mad, but because it may be the truth and you need to hear it. They're not in a popularity contest, but 
most elders you see in the churches anymore is running a popularity contest. That's all it is. They've been voted in by men, not by God. Well, I kind of got off our study there a little bit, but I think that was needful. A fellow only becomes an elder when God gives him the ability. Nobody can rule well who doesn't, uh, who must rule. If that's his attitude, then he's not qualified to rule. That's just a fact. And so it's, it's not desire, uh, and by the way, I don't really believe we teach the truth when we say desire for the office is one of the qualifications. I've heard that all my life. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. That's what the translation says in King James. And that's not Paul's point at all. Paul's point is, look, if a fellow looking uh, uh, toward being an elder, he's looking toward a real good work. Now you talk to a fellow and he says, I don't know whether I really desire that or not. A man, if you qualify and don't desire it, uh, you're one chief sinner, I'll guarantee you. I mean, if God has given you a, uh, given a fellow the qualifications to do something, and he doesn't desire to do what God has given him the quali qualities to do, he doesn't love God, that's clear. He doesn't believe God, that's clear. And he doesn't trust God, and that's clear. He doesn't rely on God. That's also clear. He's an ungodly wretch and a rascal. And so desire is not a qualification. Uh, it's a quality of being. If a fellow's looking forward to doing a job, it's a job. He's looking forward to do, doing a real good job. Uh, he, uh, he said a fellow looking forward to being an elder is looking forward to doing a good job. That's what he's looking for, forward to doing. He's not looking forward to honor. He's looking forward to work is what he's looking for. He has a love for a congregation. He sees uh, the immaturity in the congregation. And he understands enough about the Word of God that he can address that immaturity and bring it up to maturation with the maturity that God would have them to meet. And because of that, he's driven by a love for the congregation. He's not looking for self-honor, self-glory. In his humility, he's driven to service. That's Paul's point. What he's looking forward to and not his desire. His point is, look, if a fellow wants to do the work of an elder, an older man, that's a great work he wants to do. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, anybody can show mercy. But there are those gifted by God to show mercy with cheerfulness. You see the difference? Everybody can show mercy. But there's some that are gifted by God to show mercy, as Paul said, with cheerfulness. There are gifted people that can bring more joy into a place of distress than you and I can imagine unless you've been privileged to see them at work. You ever been in a situation where somebody stepped in it was like a breath of fresh air? Everybody is sympathetic. 
in this situation of, of dire need. Everybody's uh, concerned about it, but there's generally one or two people that are gifted uh, uh, and can bring cheerfulness in with that giftedness. And they come into the room and it's just like a breath of fresh air. Now, some of the others of us go out and show mercy and people would just soon we not come. Uh, now, what's he got? Uh, that's generally our question when we go in the hospital. Here's a brother laying there with a, an evil uh, something dire disease. What's he got? You know, my cousin had that, uh, and he lingered three weeks and died. Now, that ain't... <laughs> now, his intentions may be good of trying to cheer the person up, but do you think that cheered him up? No, he don't want to hear that. And so here Paul talks about showing mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, that's not very cheerful, trying to show mercy, but... Uh, so misdirected. Now the secret of humility, and we need to uh, cover this just in summary, uh, point four here is more or less just a, a summary point. The secret of humility is seen in verses three and six. In verse three he says, understand this, that God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. And then he said in verse 6, understand this, you have gifts differing according to the grace which was given unto you. And so what's the secret of humility? That word up there, uh, uh, do you think it is a secret of humility found in both sentences? It's the word grace. It's found in both sentences. The secret of humility is for you to realize what do you have that, uh, as the scripture says, that you didn't receive. Now if you received it, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. What do you have that you didn't receive? Now if you have it, why do you uh, wander around like a peacock boasting like you didn't receive it, like it was yours, exclusively. <coughs> there was a, well I'll be, told the apostles on one occasion I don't know where it's at, it's in the gospels he said freely you've received, freely give and so if I'm a preacher and I'm dependent on making my living as a preacher uh, I'm, I'm blessed with whatever I get to live on but at the same time I've been freely given and it's my job to freely give in other words, uh, a man doesn't go out here with a card saying, have Bible, we'll travel for money. Yeah, that's, not, that's not the point at all. 
Because the man of God will go whether there's any money in it or not. Whether he has to dig in his own pocket to pay the, the tariff, he'll go. Now everything you've got, everything you have, how did you get it? It's a gift. Now you could go around boasting about what you got. Uh, you go around boasting about who gave it to you. That's who you boast about. Who gave it to you? God did. It's not so much of what you got, it's who gave it to you. If God gives it to you, he'll, make, he'll give you an increase, won't he? If you serve him correctly. If you see to the needs of, like in those days, the widows and orphans, and the strangers that come through town. God will see to it that your that your need that your bounty is multiplied. That's what we read a while ago in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> and so you cannot now not worry about uh, honor being brought to you because it's all right to be sought in a godly manner. It's all right to be well thought of. There's nothing wrong in being uh, well thought of and there's nothing wrong in desiring to be sought in a godly manner. Just don't take the glory to yourself. Recognize that God has given you the ability that it's a, a gift from God. And at the same time, uh, don't refuse to admit you you can do it. Uh, you see, that's one of the problems that ensues out of college. You send a boy down there and uh, he gets all puffed up as though he uh, learned these things on his own. That he, he don't recognize that he had help, that somebody was behind it. It's a gift to him. He don't see that. All he sees is uh, himself, and he's all puffed up about it. And Paul made a statement once about that. He said, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And what the brethren need is, is uh, love making known the knowledge of God, not a puffed up person. A puffed up person looks down their nose at everybody else. A puffed up person looks looks down at everybody that isn't of the same level as he is in education or pedigree or whatever. Uh, humility then is that same sane mind that knows what it can do and why it can do it and who gave it the ability to do it. That's what humility is. Humility is not saying I'm just a worm, I can't do anything. And that's generally the attitude a lot of people have. Well, I'm just a worm. That's not humility, that's pride. That's thinking too much of self. I don't mean too much in the sense of too high, but just too often. Now in chapter 12, verse 9 through 13, he deals with consecration as it results in our life toward the brethren. Uh, so in verse 9 through 13 he deals with consecration toward the brethren mark that down because that's where we begin next week 
in our study of Romans 12. Paul has finished his doctrinal section uh, in Romans as in the first three chapters he dealt with uh, the doctrine of sin. And in chapter middle of chapter 3 through chapter 6 he dealt with the doctrine of vindication or the, the doctrine of uh, justification. And then in also in chapter 6 through chapter 8, he deals with the doctrine of uh, sanctification. And then in chapter 9, 10, and 11, uh, before we got to chapter 12 here, he dealt with the Jews and vindicating God for his rejection of the Jews. And so now in the close of his epistle, he's dealing with practical matters that involve, that. Uh, affect the church and he's telling us about uh, he starts right out remember verse 1 I beseech you in view of the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice that's your job to present your body a living sacrifice a living sacrifice yeah holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service he's not asking too much of you but again, as we look at the church and its performance nowadays, because of the schools we went to when we were children and the culture we live in, it's all I, me, and mine. And what can the church do for me? What do they have to offer me? And it's a very selfish look. Uh, it's not the look of a Christian who uh, approaches the brotherhood as a member and says to himself, how, how can I help? What can I do to strengthen? And then rather than strengthening, generally we're talking against one another and causing division and heartache and everything else in the congregation. So, like Paul said, uh, knowledge puffs up and love edifies. It takes an old man to realize that a young man he, he may be a very good person but uh, you can fill him full of knowledge in one of these schools and when he comes out he tends to be puffed up as though he was somebody he walks like a peacock uh, but it takes a few years and it takes a lot of trials in life to come around to uh, recognize that the, the power of teaching and preaching God's Word and administering to the people of God is found in the word love, a concern for, and that's why the man of God serves. And he recognizes all along the way that it's all a gift from God, that God gives the increase. And we just uh, are table servers like we're learning in 1 Corinthians 2. Remember uh, last Wednesday night, uh, Paul called us servants. And that word relates to a, a server at the table in a restaurant. And the congregation in its immaturity can holler out, Hey, bud, you forgot the water. Get the water over here. Uh, this steak is not cooked right. Take it back. And so the man of God is like that minister, that servant. 
he takes whatever abuse comes his way, and he loves them for it because he knows they're immature. They're in the process of learning. And that's how we dwell together is in love. Love binds us together, doesn't it? And without it, we're, we're in a discord all the way through. Well, that's all I've got to say tonight about it. Uh, uh, we'll begin in verse 9 through 13 next week. Thank you. Let's stand while we sing our clothing hymn. Hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, Come unto me, I am the way. Hearken the love, we call, obey. Come for he loves you so. Only a step, only a step, come for he